starting a brand new study on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you have your Bibles, the first passage of Scripture I need you to open up to tonight is found in John chapter 14 in verse 16. This is the opening verse. And tonight, you are going to use your Bible. It's easy to put Scriptures up on the back. Oh, but it's good for you to discover the Scriptures on your own. Find out where the... So I expect to hear pages turning tonight as we go through the Word and talk about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so here in John chapter 14, in verse 16, Jesus said these words, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, as we begin to study about the work and the person of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we just ask that you would open our understanding to comprehend, Lord, to see the blessing in the promise that you made. And so, Lord, just do a work. In Jesus' name, amen. For the next several weeks here on Wednesday nights, we are going to take time to study the person and work of the Holy Spirit as is revealed in Scripture. The subject itself is often neglected, misunderstood, and at times misrepresented. Perhaps one of the reasons that it is neglected is the fear of abuse. It is understandable when you see unbiblical practices under the banner of the work of the Holy Spirit, and yet there is no biblical basis for what is being practiced, and thus it makes people nervous when you begin to consider the Holy Spirit, to consider who he is and what he does. It's unfortunate that even within the church today, the teaching on the work of the Holy Spirit is not emphasized. In fact, there is a systematic theology book. It's actually three volumes. And out of the three volumes of systematic theology, there's only 12 pages dedicated to the work of the Holy Spirit. Something's wrong with that. It's unfortunate that many are like those in the book of Acts. You remember in chapter 19, when Paul went up to Ephesus and he said, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their response was, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. There are some churches like that today. They don't know who the Holy Spirit is. Why is it important for us to understand the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. For one thing, whenever there has been a revival within the church, it's always been a work of the Holy Spirit within the church. Historically, 
Biblically, it's a work of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is not involved, then it's not a genuine revival in the heart of an individual, in the heart of a congregation, or in a nation. Another reason is because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to understand Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that opens up our ability to comprehend the Word of God. Jesus said it's the Spirit of God's job to lead us into all truth. And if the Spirit of God isn't working, we're not going to be comprehending the Scriptures. It's like reading a different language. and not, I don't understand it when I read it because I need the Holy Spirit to help me to understand. He's the one that teaches me what the Bible says. Another reason is that we find the power to live out the Christian life through the work of the Holy Spirit. You do not want to attempt to live the Christian life in your own strength because your strength, my strength is limited, but the Spirit and His power is unlimited. And therefore, I want to understand this availability of the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life for Christ, to be a witness for Christ within this world. In our time together, we will be going through the Scripture to get a clear understanding, first of all, of who the Spirit is, the way He works within the world, the way that He works within the life of the church, the gifts that He presents to the church and gives to the church liberally, the fruits of the Spirit that are to be seen in the life of the believers. And the goal of this time of study together, the goal is not, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way, as a divine person, our thought will rather be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? In order to get a clear picture of the nature and the characteristic of the Holy Spirit, I want to begin by declaring what he is not. Many cults have attacked the personality of the Holy Spirit. They teach that the Holy Spirit is not a person at all, but merely an essence or an influence. That the Holy Spirit is nothing more than an it. That he is no more than no more personal than a breeze from a fan. But that's just not true. This, of course, is nothing new as it relates to church history, if you've done a study of church history. For early on, there were aberrant teachings concerning the Holy Spirit, the Arian heresy, for example, that circulated, saying the Holy Spirit had no divine qualities whatsoever. Another group denies the deity of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not an inanimate object, not some kind of impersonal phantom or some cosmic apparition. The Bible makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is absolute deity, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. He has a personality. He is a blessed reality. First of all, let's consider the deity of the Holy Spirit. And here's where you get to turn in your Bible to the very beginning, Genesis chapter one. If you don't know where that is, it's at the beginning. The book of beginnings, Genesis chapter one. Look what it says in verse one. Music to my ears, pages turning. 
It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In creation, the Holy Spirit of God was there. The Holy Spirit possesses all the attributes that belong exclusively to God. He took part in creation. The Holy Spirit is part of the triune essence of God, which consists of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Some, sadly, have sought to deny the doctrine of the Trinity of God, or the three in one, for one reason, they deny it is because they cannot explain it. Another reason, they say the word Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible. Bible is not mentioned in the Bible. But although we may not understand it, nor find the word itself, it is clearly taught throughout Scripture as a distinctive doctrine. But here, Genesis chapter 1, when it says... In the first book of the Bible, the first verse, we see the triune nature of God implied. Genesis 1.1, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God here in the Hebrew is Elohim. It's the plural noun which we could best be defined as more than one within one. In Genesis 1.26, look just a few verses down in the same chapter. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What did God say in this verse before the creation of man that would imply his triune nature? It says it right here, let us. He wasn't talking to the angels. He was talking within himself, as it were. Man was not going to be made in the likeness of angels, but in the likeness of God. Thus God could only have been speaking to himself. One member of the uniplural Godhead was addressing another member or members. Again, it goes beyond my ability to comprehend, but I praise God it's in here. Other scriptures in the Old Testament, and I'll, you can just make note of these, that imply the triune nature of God can be found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Genesis 11, 7 through 8. You don't have to turn there. I'm just, this is, I'm just throwing them out. Genesis 19, 24. Exodus 6, 4, Psalm 110. I mean, just do a study on the triunity of God and you can look up all of these verses. The Bible is replete with passages concerning the Trinity. We also see the Trinity revealed in the New Testament. Clearly, one of the most convincing revelations of the triune nature of God, I believe found in the New Testament, is located in Matthew chapter 3. Remember in Matthew chapter 3? There in verse 13, when Jesus went to be baptized there in the Jordan, it says this, then Jesus came from Galilee. This one I put on the board for you so you can see. <laughs> I love how everybody goes, whoa, there it is. But look it up in your Bible just to be sure. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and he said, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. And notice verse 16. 
when he had baptized Jesus, or when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here at the baptism of Jesus, we see the son being baptized. We see the spirit coming upon him like a dove. And we hear the father speaking, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. All three there at the baptism of Jesus. I think of 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Now, although the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, he has a role and a function that is distinct from the other members of the Trinity that we'll consider together. The Holy Spirit in his deity is clearly seen in that he possesses divine attributes. Again, this is where you need to use your Bible. First of all, first passage, Psalm 139. Turn there. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7. And here we see that the Spirit of God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once all the time. A divine attribute attributed to the Spirit of God. It says in Psalm 139, verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The psalmist, considering the Spirit of God, that he is everywhere all the time, he was saying there is no place that I could go to get away from the Spirit of God because he's omnipresent. Folks, listen carefully. The Spirit of God is everywhere all the time because he's God. You can't get away from the Spirit. You might try to run from Him. You might be running from Him tonight. But you can't get away from Him. He knows where you are. He's with you all the time. He's omnipresent. But not only is He omnipresent, but the Bible also says that He is omniscient. Now turn to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 10. This is a Bible workout, friends, right here. 1 Corinthians 2, look at verse 10 and 11. And we read, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God in his divine attributes, he is omnipresent and he is also omniscient. He knows all things. And I am so thankful for that because I don't know all things. But the Spirit of God does. And he has ways of revealing the things that I need to know through the Word of God. Do you need direction tonight? Do you need wisdom? Ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal it to you. The Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And the Spirit of God will give the wisdom that you need as revealed in the Word of God. He knows everything. 
we also see in his divine nature that he is not only omniscient, omnipresent, but folks, he is also omnipotent, all-powerful. Turn back to the left, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and look with me at verse 35 and what it says concerning the power of the Holy Spirit. Here it says in Luke chapter 1, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit coming upon you, the power of the highest, all powerful. There is no one greater, no one more powerful than God. And the Holy Spirit possesses all the power of the Godhead because he is God. A divine attribute, once again, seen in the person of the Holy Spirit. He is omnipotent. And again, I am grateful for this because I need power to live the Christian life. I don't have the strength. I don't have the power in and of myself. But praise the Lord, heaven is not limited. There is an endless supply. The, the Bible tells us, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. What power? What might? The power and the might of the Spirit of God available to you as a Christian tonight. In the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do it on your own. And this is something that I am so grateful for. I don't want to do it on my own. Some of us would say, I tried it on my own, and it didn't go well. But praise the Lord tonight that there is the Spirit of God that will empower us. He is omnipotent. Oh, but he is also, in his divine nature, eternal. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9, to the right. Hebrews chapter 9. By the way, if you've never memorized the books of the Bible, there's a quiz tonight after, no. <laughs> but seriously, I had one of our little boys in our um, fellowship here DM'd me, direct messaged me, and said, how do I memorize, <laughs> he's like in third grade, second grade, how do I memorize the books of the Bible, Pastor John? I said, put it in a song. And he found a song. I saw him on Sunday. He said, I found a song. And he memorized all the books of the Bible in the Old Testament. So let me, let me DM him back and see if I can get the song for you guys. I'll let you know what it was. But it's a great way to learn the scriptures. DM stands for direct message for those of you maybe not technically <laughs> savvy. Where were we? The Holy Spirit is eternal. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here we see that the Spirit of God is eternal. Only God is eternal in that sense. He has always existed. He was there at creation. He was there before creation. Eternity past and eternity future, outside of time, the Spirit of God is eternal because he is God. Another attribute. But he is not only eternal. 
omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. But folks, he is also sovereign. He is sovereign. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Going back to the left. 1 Corinthians 12. I hope after this study your fingers are tired. What happened to your fingers? I was cross-referencing. 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 11, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and we'll get to that eventually in our study together. Distributing the gifts of the Spirit. How does he distribute them? Sovereignly, as he wills. The Spirit distributes the giftings of the Spirit as he wills. It speaks of the sovereignty of the Spirit of God. I'm thankful that God is sovereign that he is in control, that he knows what's best for me and gives me not always what I want because it wouldn't necessarily be good for me, but what I need. And so he imparts it sovereignly as he wills. He is sovereignly working in your life tonight. There may be some things that God has allowed to come into your life that you think, Lord, I don't necessarily see the benefit of this, but yet because you serve the Lord and you love the Lord, there is something he is doing as he wills in your life and in mine. But probably one of the greatest scriptures that refers to the deity of Christ or in the deity of the Spirit, there are many scriptures, by the way, that refer to the deity of Christ, but speaking of the Spirit is in the book of Acts chapter 5. Again, to the left, Acts chapter 5. And if you know anything about what was going on in the early church at this time, the church had just begun. God was moving powerfully, and one day, 3,000 people were added to the church on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was first poured out there in the upper room in Jerusalem. But whenever the Holy Spirit is doing a work, just know this, the devil's also trying to do a work. And that's what happened in the early church. Notice what it says in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And a young man carried, arose and carried, wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. What does Peter say? Ananias comes in deceptively, seems to present something to the church and seemed to say, this is everything. He could, have, he could have given just a portion, but he made it seem like he had given all. Some, he was lying. And Peter, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom and discernment, 
asks Ananias, how is it that you have conceived this? The, the, the devil filled your heart to do this. But then he said, you haven't lied to man, although he had. He had lied to the Holy Spirit, and Peter said, you've lied to who? To God. The Holy Spirit is God. If you're not clear on that yet, review the verses we just read, and then this one, because it says here that he's God. But not only is the Holy Spirit absolute deity, we also see different names that are referred to, or that refer to the Holy Spirit, I should say. And let me just mention them. You don't have to look these up, but the eternal spirit, as we just read in Hebrews 9, the spirit of truth, John 14, the spirit of God, Genesis 1-2, we read, the spirit of adoption, Romans 8.15, the spirit of Christ, Romans 8.9, the helper, John 14, the spirit of the Lord, Luke chapter 4. We see the deity of the Holy Spirit. But I also want to point out to you that we observe the Holy Spirit and he is mentioned symbolically throughout the scriptures. Let me give you some examples. In addition to the variety of titles given to the Holy Spirit, we observe the number of symbols that depict various characteristics and divine functions. The first, wind and breath. The Hebrew word ruach and the Greek word pneuma is a vivid figure of speech that depicts the Spirit of God as a moving force in his personality. Again, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's the word that's used there. John chapter 20, in verse 21, you remember that Jesus said to the disciples, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. In John chapter 3, in verse 7, he is referred to as the wind. And there it says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You remember Jesus was talking to Nicodemus? about being born again, and Nicodemus didn't understand. Jesus talks about being born of the Spirit. And he says, don't marvel that I said to you must be born again, because the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God likened to breath, likened to wind. Now you think about the wind, you see the effect of it. You don't necessarily know where it's coming from. Well, it's coming from the south or it's coming from the north, but, but how it works and the way it works, but you see the effect of it. And when the Spirit of God is working in a life or in the life of a church, somebody says, well, what's God doing in your church? I don't know. He's doing great things. Well, what is it? I, prayerfully, it's the Spirit of God at work. Let me share with you. This week, I just returned from New York. I was there this morning, but uh, very early, but I'm here. In spirit, but I, you know, I'm here. 
But it was amazing. I was gathered there at a Northeast Pastors Conference with a room this size. And with people that came there for the conference. And then they also had a radio rally there, which is just people who listen to the radio station. And we happened to be on that radio station for, I don't know, maybe three or four, four years. I've never been there myself. I've never been there. So my first time to this area and to this conference. And so I didn't really know what to expect. And so when I was sitting in the congregation getting ready to teach Monday night, um, the person who's the personality of the radio came up and said, hey, you know, we're talking about the radio and what God's doing there. And how many of you listen to a daily walk with Pastor John Randall? And I mean, almost the entire room raised their hand. I was so blown away. I had never met one of these people, you know, in my life. And yet it was like it was another church like this in a room. And, I'm, and let me just tell you, the reason why I'm sharing that is not to say, yay, John Randall. I'm saying, yay, Holy Spirit, and praise God for you guys. Because that's an investment that you make into the work of the ministry that feeds multitudes outside of this. This, this particular station goes into prisons, and they listen to the Word of God every day. It goes into the universities that are anti-God, and they're hearing it. And there was so praise the Lord. I mean, I just stood there and, and heard testimony after testimony, and I just was humbled. I mean, just taken back to think that, I mean, I had no idea what God was doing. And it is, it, is a, it is a praise to God, and it is also a blessing because of the people here in this fellowship, that you, what you do and how you give and support the work of the ministry here is feeding multitudes of people the word of God. And they, let me just tell you something, they're grateful, they're thankful I mean, tears in their eyes. A young man coming up to me uh, saying, I backslid from the Lord. And he was going to school, going to college. And, and he, was, he, he just said, I, I, I did, I was bro- God was just getting a hold of me. And he said, the first thing I listened to, I started listening to you on the air. And I started listening to the radio. And, and God used it and brought me back to the Lord. And then he got married. And now he's teaching a college Bible study at his church. And, I just, and his eyes just welled up with tears. And I just thought, man, Lord, praise God. I don't know how the Spirit does it. He just does it. It's the Word of God. Praise him for it's just awesome to see the work, the effect that God has on people's lives. And I look around this room and I know so many of your testimonies. And, and I've seen what God's done. I've seen when some of you came in here and what was going on in your life and where you were at and what God has done since then. And it's marvelous. Explain it. It's like the wind. It's just, I don't know. It's the spirit that's doing it. Praise God. I think of Acts chapter two, verse two. You remember when it says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting. The spirit of God likened to wind and breath symbolically, but also he's likened to fire. The Holy Spirit and fire are closely connected and can be found. You remember that statement that John the Baptist made in Matthew chapter three, in verse 11? When he said concerning Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Spirit of God likened unto fire. There is that refining that the Spirit of God does, burning away the chaff and the things that need to go, the refining fire of the Spirit of God. I think of, again, the day of Pentecost. It says, as they were praying, there appeared to them in Acts chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. 
and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Like into wind, breath, fire. But also, he is symbolically mentioned in Scripture like water. Refreshing. You remember in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, in verse 37. As Jesus was there on the last day. In fact, turn there, would you? It's on the board, but just turn there. I want you to see it. John chapter 7. I'd encourage you to underline these passages in your Bible. I have them underlined in mine. And this one, I have, an even, I have a little mark on the side too, just to remind myself, I love this passage. Jesus was there on the last day of the feast. And people were gathered there. And Jesus stood up and with a loud voice, he said, on the last day of the feast, he stood and cried saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus said, are you thirsty? As a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. If you have a thirst for God, the Spirit of God is the one that quenches the thirst. And as you receive of this living water, it says that you don't just receive it, it overflows your life. That's the genuine work of the Spirit. The Spirit is flowing into you, but He's overflowing your life. Not a reservoir, but a river. A reservoir just contains it. It just holds it. No, no, no. This is something that continues to flow from the heart of God, the Spirit of God flowing through your life, a living water. It's refreshing. Not only does it refresh you, but it refreshes other people who come in contact with the work of the Spirit of God through your life. That's what we should desire. Living water flowing into my life, but flowing out from my life, refreshing other people. It's wonderful to be around people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. I find it to be refreshing to be with them and to see the Spirit of God working in and through their life. And I would encourage you, drink deeply, as it were, of living water. Remember Jesus said to the woman at the well, you can drink from this water, you're gonna thirst again. But the water that I'll give you, oh, that'll just spring up within you. Have you been satisfied? Are you thirsty for the Lord. If so, the Spirit of God quenches the thirst. He's likened to water, but he's also likened to a dove, as we just read a moment ago. According to all four Gospels, at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was like, it says in Matthew 3.16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water. Behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. The Spirit of God is also symbolically likened to oil. Oil. In the Old Testament, you remember when God said to Samuel concerning young David, arise and anoint him. You remember in 1 Samuel 16, in verse 13, it says that Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the Spirit of the Lord came, I love this, mightily upon David from that day forward. You see, when the priests would minister, that oil was used to anoint them. We find that the lamps 
that were to bring forth light, that they were to keep burning, were to be constantly fed with oil. As the oil was going into the lamp, constantly being fed into the lamp, the lamp kept burning. Folks, listen, Jesus said that he was the light of the world, but he also said that we're to be the light of the world. And what keeps the light within the believer burning? It's a constant supply of oil, the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life, the oil. We used to sing a song when I was a little boy. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burn. Do you know that song? It's a great tune. But it was a reminder of the Spirit of God and saying, Lord, keep me, keep the oil of the Spirit of God flowing into my life, through my life. Lord, let the Spirit of God not just come upon me, but come mightily upon me. The oil, symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit. And you find people being anointed with oil throughout the Old Testament and the Spirit of God coming upon them and the priests and so forth. So we see the Holy Spirit in Scripture, first of all, in his deity. But next, we see the Holy Spirit referred to symbolically. But now let's consider for a moment the Holy Spirit in his personality. Some people think, well, he's just a, he's not a real person. He's an it, as I referred to earlier. All the distinctive characteristics of personality are ascribed to the Holy Spirit in the Bible. What are some of those distinctive characteristics or marks of personality? Things like knowledge, feeling, emotion, will. Any entity that thinks and feels and wills is a person. When we say the Holy Spirit is a person, there are those who understand us to mean that the Holy Spirit has hands and feet and eyes and ears and a mouth and so on. But these are not the characteristics of a personality. What we're talking about here. Are the, are the marks of the personality repeated and ascribed to the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testament. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Talking about the Spirit of God, I think of Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit. The Spirit of God desires fellowship with the people of God. We see the personality of the Holy Spirit in biblical description. The first thing I want to point out to you is the Spirit of God's intelligence. Intelligence. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, we looked at this a moment ago, but it's, it's still. I want you to see it again. Seeing the intelligence of the Spirit of God. But God, verse 10 of chapter 2, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. What man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The knowledge that the Holy Spirit has. He's a person. He knows things. He knows everything, as we already mentioned. But we also find that the Holy Spirit, as a person, has a will. Has a will. In Acts chapter 15, please turn there. Acts 15. I don't hear pages. Acts 15. Don't put it on the board. Make them turn to it. Acts chapter, there it is. Acts chapter 15. Don't get lazy. No, kidding. Acts 15. 
In Acts 15, if you know anything about, let me set the stage for you. What's happening here is called the Jerusalem Council. There were some difficulties. The church started out primarily as a Jewish church, but Gentiles started getting saved. And the Jews were having a difficult time with Gentiles being a part of the church. And so they were saying, well, they need to become Jews. And others saying, no, they don't. And, and they need to be circumcised. Paul would say, no, they don't. So they had this big meeting there in Jerusalem to decide what was acceptable and what wasn't as it related to the Gentiles being part of the church. And so they started praying. They started talking. And then it says in Acts chapter 15, in verse 28, as they're writing this letter to the Gentiles, it says here, notice this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. They're writing a letter to the Gentiles telling them, listen, you don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to do this. Here's what we'd like to see happen, just these things. But, but how did they arrive at that conclusion? They said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed his will to the apostles, to those that were gathered there in the Jerusalem council, and then they in turn penned this letter and gave it to Paul, and they went back throughout all the Gentile churches letting them know it's going to be all right. We decided. God made it clear. The Holy Spirit revealed his will. When? When they sought him. Do you ever pray that? Holy Spirit, reveal your, reveal, reveal your will to me. Reveal the will of God to me. Show me what you want me to do. I would encourage you to do that. We also find that the Holy Spirit, in his personality, that there is emotion. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there, please. To the right, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As Paul is writing this epistle, he says in verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. That's a good verse right there. But then he goes on. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Only someone who is a person can be grieved the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And here the exhortation in this epistle to the Ephesians is don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And he lists the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He has a will. He has emotion. He has intelligence. For the sake of time, the Bible also tells us, as we mentioned already, he could be lied to in addition to being grieved. The Bible says that he can actually be resisted. Remember in Acts chapter 7? When Stephen was preaching and there were those who were gathered around, he, he preached this amazing sermon. Stephen, who started out as a man serving tables in the early church, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of the Word of God. He began this powerful sermon just tracing the history of the nation of Israel. Goes all the way back and points out throughout their history how they consistently rejected the leadership that God raised up and they also rejected Jesus. And when he had completed his sermon, in conclusion, it says that everybody was cut to the heart 
gnashing at him. They were they running at him with rocks and pelting him, you remember. And But in that sermon, he made a statement. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You can just flip the page or you can see it on the board. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Look at what he says. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so you do. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. Are you resisting the Holy Spirit in your life tonight? Don't resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't harden your heart. Is the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention? Is he seeking to speak to you? Are you resisting it? Are you fighting it? Or are you surrendering to it? We saying, Lord, have your way. Do we mean that? Or are we saying, have my way? Would you have my way? No, no, it's not your way, it's not mine. It's the Spirit of God, but don't resist it. He can be resisted. But he also, the Bible tells us, he can be blasphemed. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 28. You remember Jesus talking about sins that could be forgiven? And then he said, as the Pharisees, you remember, they were saying that what Jesus was doing was being attributed to the work of Satan. Jesus said, hey, you're getting pretty close to blaspheming the Spirit. He said in Mark 3, verse 28, assuredly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men. And I say, thank you, Jesus. He didn't say some sins will be forgiven, but some won't. He said all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But, he said, he who blasphemes against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Now that often makes people nervous. But let me explain. Here's the good news, first of all. There's only one sin that can't be forgiven. It's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And people say, did I commit that one? Let me just say this. If you're concerned about it, you haven't. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? First of all, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? To draw people to Jesus. To bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. To bring people to Jesus in salvation. If you reject the work of the Holy Spirit in drawing you to salvation, and you reject, and you reject, and you reject, and you die in your sins. Friend, listen, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The only sin that can't be forgiven is the sin that rejects Jesus as being Savior. And so I look at this and say, praise God, because I've committed a lot of sins, but there's only one. I haven't done that one because I've received Christ, and he's forgiven me of all of my sins. But it's possible, friend, to blaspheme the Spirit. And Jesus said, that's the sin that won't be forgiven. To die without Christ is to have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You have rejected the message of the gospel. And then you suffer your eternal destiny in a place called hell, that Jesus died so you never have to go there. The Spirit of God can be blasphemed. Don't resist. Don't fight against it. Here we see tonight, and there is much more to share. But we see the deity of the Holy Spirit. He is God. We see him mentioned in Scripture symbolically from Old and New Testaments. We also have observed this evening the personality of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. Next time, 
will continue to look at more of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, we're going to end with a few songs of worship and then we'll conclude. Will you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening for sending your Son to die for us and sending your Holy Spirit to be with us. Thank you that we are not alone, but that you are with us and you said you'll be with us even to the end of the age. And Lord, as we finish this evening, conclude this first study of looking at the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that we would be thankful for what you've provided, everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. But I pray that there would be none resisting the Holy Spirit this evening or grieving the Holy Spirit, but rather responding and surrendering. In Jesus' name.